31st of 2020, I turned 30 years old. In mid-November, I realized I had a strange abnormality and got an appointment with my doctor. I was sent from there on December 2nd for more tests, and then on December 14th, even more tests, each time receiving scarier and scarier news. Then on December 17th of 2020, I received this phone call from triple negative carcinoma gene. I instantly was speechless. I looked at Ryan, began to sob. The lady's voice on the phone faded, and I walked away. Ryan continued the call while I stumbled to our room where I fell to my knees and doubled in half as I mourned the devastating news. Me? I have cancer? I thought to myself. Then I began to scream and ask God, why? Why is this happening? No, God, please, no. After a few seconds, I sat up, took a deep breath, and stopped. Suddenly, a wave of peace came over me, and I told God, I am so sorry. I will trust you. I promise I will trust you through all of this. Ryan was quickly by my side and held me as we both wept in disbelief. The next hours were a blur as my parents came and Ryan spent time making appointments and figuring out the next steps. The roller coaster of emotions began. Fear, anxiety, nerves, and guilt for feeling all of these things. The next few days were literally full of doctor's appointments, scans, blood work, so much overwhelming information. We sat in the oncologist's office as she explained what would need to happen and what to expect the next few weeks. I held Ryan's hand tightly as words like breast cancer, lymph nodes, metastasis, stage two, mastectomy, chemo, 16 rounds of chemo, hair loss, infertility, and more were said. Suddenly, my focus was drawn to the plug-in behind the doctor, and her voice became muffled. I could not process another word. It seemed as if each appointment we went to got worse and worse. The cancer was bigger than they thought. There was possibly another spot. I needed more tests, more scans. If the cancer had spread already, there was little to nothing they could do. And they may not have time to do infertility because of the aggressiveness of this cancer. At this point, we were told I had stage two, possibly stage three, triple negative breast cancer with a two centimeter tumor. And already at this point, the oncologist is explaining to us how incredibly rare this is for someone, not only of her age, to have breast cancer, but the second thing, for it to be this kind of breast cancer. It's, it's not the most common kind. Uh, she almost seemed unsure, the doctor did, of the situation, which was, was really disturbing to me. Not only did Michaela have cancer at such a young age, but of course it had to be a rare type, and our doctor wasn't used uh, to working with young people. Then we got the worst news of all. The MRI confirmed that the tumor was almost double what they originally thought, and the cancer had already metastasized and was spreading. They found yet another spot. Between December 17th and December 23rd, 
I had seen three different doctors, had multiple additional tests, ultrasounds, biopsies, MRIs, echocardiograms, and tons of blood work for genetic testing. And the worst part, all of the waiting. The waiting was by far uh, the worst part for, for me. I think for her, obviously, because we got some treatments. Uh, but for everyone else, anyone that knows me knows that I don't like to wait for anything. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a doer. I'm a person that goes. Uh, when I see something that needs done, I just go. I just do it. Uh, I just hunker down and get done what needs done. But I had zero control over what was going on with Scott. And it was it was so mixed up. It was so aggravating. You can relate. It, she's a lot like me in that way. It's just so aggravating when you are out of control of a situation and you are used to being able to, even when you don't have control of something, you're used to being able to find a workaround and, and make it work. But I had zero control over this. It was torture for both of us and for our families. All, all of the worst thoughts are going through my head at this point. My kid always seemed to kind of zone out as we went to the doctor to get results and, and, and to talk to them about the bad news. It was all just too much, and things began to not register uh, as far as the severity of what they were saying to us. You know, you can only take in so much bad news until you just have, like she said, you just have to shut down. And, and, and she just, when going there, her defense mechanism would take off, and she would just lock on to something in the room. And, and I, I would be sitting there listening to this, and we got the news that it had metastasized and that there was going to be little to nothing that they could do at that point if that was the case because of the type of breast cancer that she had. The doctor explained all this to us in their usual technical jargon, barely understandable to a person in a normal state, let alone someone who had been completely traumatized like Michaela was at this point. She wasn't able to grasp the severity of the situation when we left the doctor appointment. The doctor had just literally told us that the cancer was spreading and she was most likely not going to survive this to expect the worst. I couldn't bring myself to explain to Michaela any further of what we had just heard and what we uh, had just been told. She wanted to stop by Burlington Coat Factory uh, on the way home to pick up a few things in preparation for the coming surgery and the treatments that she was going to be doing. And I dropped her off at the door and I said, I'll, I'll, I'll be in in just a minute. I was barely keeping it together at this point. I got out of the car and I went behind Burlington and I called my dad and I began to tell him the awful news that my wife was most going to die. I lost it behind the store. For the first time, I completely lost my mind behind Burlington. I could not stop crying. It, it, was, it was uncontrollable. I could not control the emotions that were coming out of my mouth. I finally got myself together, and I went next door, and I poured some cold water on my face because I didn't want my tail to see how upset I was because I stuffed. I, I feared that that would increase her fear. I was trying so hard to be positive and, and, and be strong, so I, I put some water over my face. And, and when I got in there, she wanted to splurge on a few things, which she never does. If you know her, she has a hard time spending $2 at a thrift store. She, like, comes home all guilty. She's like, I'm really sorry, but, you know, she's got five bags, but she spent $2. And so the fact that she wanted to splurge at Burlington, that was that was not normal for her. And I said to her, babe, you can get whatever you want. And in the back of my mind, I finished that sentence because there might not be very, more tri very many more trips like this. And I teared up behind her. I had let the enemy in, and I was afraid, and I was intimidated for the first time. And I let the enemy have his way with me for that entire evening. I became like Michaela. I became numb. My senses 
the entire evening, and I let him come in, and I let him set up camp in my mind for that evening. We went to bed that night, and I couldn't sleep. The doctor's words just kept repeating over and over in my mind. It was like the devil was just sitting next to me on the bed, and he was just whispering them in my ear over and over again. She's going to die. You're going to be alone. You're going to raise your daughter alone. Your wife is going to suffer, and there's nothing that you can do about it. I'm going to strip everything away from her until there's nothing left, and then she'll be gone forever. And I sat there, and I listened to this, and I, I let this circle around in my mind, and I let it begin to overwhelm me, and, and I let it begin to take me down a dark path. And then I finally came up out of the trance that felt like I was stuck in. And I said, that's it. I said, that's enough. My kid asked me what I was doing, and I said, I, I, I have to go pray. And so literally at midnight, I walked down the hallway to our living room. I told Alexa to play some worship music, and the song, Reckless Love by Corey Asbury, came on. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. And I began to weep there in that moment, and then I began to, this authority began to come over me, and I began to get so wound up to where I couldn't even speak in English any longer. And I got more and more amped up, and I got more and more excited, and I got more and more aggressive, and I began to speak directly to the devil, and I eventually walked over to my front door after midnight in the middle of December, and I flung it open, and I began to yell, you get out of my house in the name of Jesus. Satan, leave, and you take this cancer with you to get back to hell. And I watched the devil leave my house. And I stood outside on my front porch with not much on in the middle of December, screaming in the darkness. I'm sure all of my neighborhood, if they were out there, thought I was insane. But at that point, I did not care. I was going to take my house back. I was going to take my wife back. And I was going to take my family back. I came back in and I prayed for probably another hour or more. The next morning I woke up and I was still so amped up. And I was I was so ready to fight. And at that point, I didn't care that it was out of my control. I was going to do what was in my control. And so the next morning I woke up, I sat there in my bed trying to figure out what in the world could I do. And then I thought to myself, I'm going to use Facebook for something good for once. And so I went on there without my wife's permission. I knew that she probably did not want this attention. In fact, I knew for a fact that she did not want this attention. But on December 23rd, I grabbed my phone and I just as real and just as raw as I could. I begged everyone to pray. I begged everyone to pray for us, to pray for the situation, and to spread that news. And it spread like wildfire, reaching over 32,000 people within hours, being shared over 33,000 times before the day was over, and over 1,000 we didn't do it for that. We did it just because that was the best way that we could get the news out that we need your help. My dad reached out to someone who he knew over in Israel from a trip, and they actually put my Caleb and my mom's name in the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. We had reached all the way to Jerusalem with the news. Prayer had begun. I remember praying to God, okay, you've got an of nearly 40,000 people here that are watching our story. If you come show up, we'll give you all of the glory. We'll give you all of the praise. We will give you all of the credit for this witness 
celebrate all of Granny Bland's kids, uh, her grandkids, and her great-grandkids. Uh, at least 75 of us there. I sat on the couch last night trying to count up everyone, and I came up with at least 75, and I know I missed some. It's probably closer to 100. But are all there in Ron and Carlos' living room, putting all the pressure on the trusses, right, Bob? And we get a little nervous because there's a lot of weight in there, but there's, there's a ton of us in there on Christmas Eve. And I told my Kayla's mom, Carla, I said, uh, I'm calling for prayer for these people. We're all together. We're a family of believers. I, I don't want to ruin anyone's Christmas, but, but that's just where we are. We're at that point. So we decided at 8 p.m. on Christmas Eve that we would stop everything and we would pray for my Kayla. And unbeknownst to me, Carla had spread the word, and, and there were several other families, and I'm sure most of you in here, that also stopped at 8 p.m. that Christmas Eve and prayed for us and prayed for my Kayla. So at 8 p.m. in the Bland house, the room went silent. It, it was it was a little bizarre, eerie feeling. Like no one stood up and said, "Okay, stop talking." It's just like 7:59ish. The room started getting quiet, and then at 8 o'clock it was it was just silent. And so I stood up and I explained to the room what was going on and the severity of the situation and the news that we had been getting over and over again on a daily basis at this point. Every single doctor's appointment, it is not an exaggeration. Every single doctor's appointment we went to, the next one was worse. The next one was worse. The next one was worse news until we got to the point where they told us, you're most likely not going to survive this. And so at 8 p.m. I told them everything that was going on, but I said, I'm not accepting this report. And I don't want you to accept this report. And I, I said, I, the Bible tells us we have not because we ask not, so I don't want it to be said of us that we didn't ask. And so I want us to ask God tonight to come into this situation and to take care of it. And I specifically want you to pray that we get nothing but good news from this point forward. We are done regressing. We are done moving down. We're done moving back. I want nothing but good news moving forward until she is in fact healed. And so while most of the world was eating and opening gifts, nothing wrong with that. All 70, some of us were in intercessory prayer for my Kayla's life. And this video is Christmas Eve at Ron Carlos. moments were the most powerful moments of my life. The anointing and the power that was in that room was so strong, I'll never forget it as long as I live. Something changed in me that night. We had a Christmas miracle. From that night on, the news we got about my cancer began to change. The next week, was full of appointments. We found out we were going to be able to do fertility treatments after all for two weeks. We went and met with them and I had my port placed via surgery. I received a CT and bone scan and had an additional biopsy done. During the waiting for all of those results, 
Excitement Cancer Center in St. Louis kept ending up in conversations and appearing in front of us over and over. Then we found out we had a family friend connection with Sightman, and through a series of events, God closing some doors and opening others we had no control over, we ended up switching from Springfield to Sightman in St. Louis, a renowned cancer center with the highest national rating for treatment. It was our first little miracle. We went through two weeks of fertility treatments and were able to retrieve two eggs to be frozen for potential attempts at pregnancy later in life, as they had told us the chemo would most likely leave me unable to conceive naturally and the possibility of carrying a child would be minimal. This was our second little miracle, as we were originally told that after all the extra bad news, we would most likely not have time to do this because of the aggressiveness of my cancer and we needed to start to save my life. We went on to Sightman and they did all of their own scans and one of the biggest miracles happened. They informed us, they informed us of the exact opposite the previous doctor had told us from the scans. My tumor was smaller than they thought, not larger. There was no other spots. It had not spread. It was not genetic. And this cancer was, in fact, completely treatable. And we give God all the glory for that. Yes. It wasn't a mistake by the other doctors. No. It was God who something on Christmas Eve. scans were completely clear. God had done it. The news was finally pouring in and it was all good and hope lived again. From the moment Ryan made the post, the love and support from people everywhere began to pour in. All we wanted was your prayers, but people started sending bucket loads of money, gifts, cards. People and families started doing outrageous fundraisers, bringing in tens of thousands of dollars, but most importantly, your prayers. Michael scheduled to start her first chemo treatment on January 22nd. Well, on January 21st, the doctor's office still had not received approval from the insurance company to begin treatment, which meant if it didn't happen in the next six hours, it was it was going to be canceled and delayed. I've had over time, I have become a person um, who felt like they didn't need people, um, felt like they didn't need other people just through normal life situations and disappointments in life, I have become really callous and very independent. And I have just made up my mind that I didn't need other people in my life, that I could take care of myself and my family on my own. But through everything that happened during this time in our life, you see, God never wastes a battle. You know, it's so, after I learned this lesson I'm about to tell you, I sat there and I said, okay, God, I I learned my lesson. I, I understand. It, please don't tell me all this happened just to teach me this silly little thing. If, if that is the case, I've learned. Let's move on. Just a little side note, a little one I have to show you. Uh, but, but through everything that happened, I learned uh, at this time in our life, and God showed me that that was not in fact the case at all, that I did need people. And I learned that God will use the most unlikely people sometimes to swoop in and save the day. See, I knew Pat Quick from business dealings, and his company was the agency that held our insurance policy. And I don't believe at the time Pat and his family were attending church here, um, but um, I knew
was a man of faith, and um, I didn't know what else to do at the time when we couldn't get this insurance thing settled. And so I thought, I, I didn't know what else to do, so I thought, I'm going to call Pat, and, and I'm going to see if he can do anything. And I called him pretty upset, and I said, I desperately need your help, man. Well, long story short, Pat said, I'm on it. And that was the last thing he said to me. And he dropped everything, and he went to war for us, for my wife, and for my family. And I had a phone call within a few hours that her entire treatment plan had been approved and that they would see us the next morning. And I, I, I want to personally thank Pat. He became sorry so many times that went above and beyond to help us. And I know for sure that God sent him at that time in that situation and that God sent him into our lives. And, and that was our next little miracle because at that point she wasn't even going to be able to start treatment. But I learned that day that I need people in my life. And we were blessed with some of the best people. People like both of our families who helped us immensely, financially, physically, spiritually, emotionally. People like our sister-in-law, our sister-in-law Lori, who was there with us through every bit of the hard and the ugly, explaining all of the bad news in terms that we can understand. She's a nurse practitioner, and she has oddly enough worked in this specific field. But she was able to explain everything to us that the doctors were saying so we could understand and offering a wealth of knowledge throughout the process as to medications and what we needed and when reactions came up, what we needed to do. And, and, and it was just, she was God's, and there's no doubt about that. People like Jennifer Allen, who organized meals for us every week, that we had chemo treatment so we didn't have to worry about coming up with meals while Michaela was at her work. People like my sister Ashton and Scott Sims, who between the two of them organized fundraisers that brought in over $17,000 combined. Such a blessing because not only did we were going to have a lot of medical expenses, but Michaela wasn't going to be able to work for like six months. Um, and so what a blessing that was. People like Tasha, who started the Amazon wish list that filled a basket the size of a small bed with all the things Michaela was going to need for treatments, such a blessing. People like Daniel Suey, who was really our rock during the entire process, constantly checking in with us, encouraging us, letting us vent, letting us freak out, and just being there through all the ugly. And people like this church, who literally, you all, came running to us in our worst time, in our time of need, this entire church, calling us, sending gifts, bringing meals, showing up at our door to just pray over our door because they knew they couldn't get to Michaela. This church just ran to us just like, Pastor, you should be so proud because they ran to us just like the prodigal son, just like the father ran to the prodigal son. Didn't care what was going on. Didn't care how inconvenient it was. You all just came and you came in droves and, and we, we can't thank you enough and, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts from that. It, it was truly mind-blowing. So I started chemo treatments, and before my second treatment, the doctor had told me my tumor had already shrunk 75%. He was very happy with those results, and so were we. After knowing I would need to do chemo, the hardest thing I felt that I had to go through was coming, losing my hair. We decided to go shopping for a wig ahead of time so that I would be ready for that when it happened, and I was able to find a great, very real-looking wig that most of you didn't even know I lost my hair. Thank you. Um, but um, 
by my second treatment and two days before my daughter's birthday, the moment I had been dreading began to happen. My hair began to fall out. And to many people, this horrible side effect doesn't seem like as huge of a deal. Um, but most people would say, well, not most people, but some people would say it's just hair, it'll grow back. But to me, this was by far one of the most difficult parts of my journey. I had to really focus on who I was inside instead of how I looked outside. And that wasn't and still isn't always easy for me. We actually spent Valentine's Day evening in the living room of my family's apartment downtown. But we spent Valentine's Day evening showing each other this The treatments went on and I would go through the sickness and side effects each time. But I had a strong peace the whole time. I knew it was because of you and all of your prayers. Anytime I felt overwhelmed or really upset, I would cover up with the anointed blanket that Tiffany Sims got for me and had so many people here and all around pray over and anoint. And I began to thank God for all he was doing and focus on the positive. Strangely, usually those were the moments I would post on Instagram and Facebook. Um, God seemed to just kind of give me the words that I needed to let out. Um, I wasn't always, it wasn't always easy, but after I would have my breakdown and pity party, I would try to just move on, make a post, and focus on getting through this. I didn't allow myself to dwell too long on the negative things. I think it became a defense. The last few treatments were in front of me, and now I had started to get to where I would dread my treatment days. Sometimes I would cry and pout all the way to St. Louis. I knew that in a few days I would be nauseous, in pain, uncomfortable, have the brain fog and, and chemo brain, I'd have neuropathy problems, my nails would begin to lift and some even fell off, and so much more. One day I was venting to Ryan and he was being so patient and gracious holding me while I cried and complained when suddenly it hit me. I stopped and looked at him and said, oh my word, I was going to have to do this 16 times. And with a much harsher chemo drug, suddenly I was so overwhelmed with gratitude and began to sob thanking God again for the blessing and miracles he had already done and the fact that I only had to do six treatments. The other most difficult part was not being with Lydia Jane, our daughter, the weeks after my treatment. I'm so thankful for my parents who lived just down the road and could keep her for us. We had both decided to keep her from seeing me at the sickest moments between Ryan's unfailing love and being by my side, carrying me, literally, taking care of endless doctor's phone calls and insurance problems and knowing at the end of the week when the sickness and pain went away and my, great, my chemo brain lifted, I would get to see my sweet girl. All of that and knowing that all of you were praying was really what helped me get through each and every treatment. Finally, my last treatment, I got to ring the bell to signify being done with chemo, and man, that made that so real. I stood there quoting our scripture, Jeremiah 32, 17, in my head, which had been memorized, or which had been our scripture for this entire journey, and Lydia, our two-year-old, even memorized it. Nothing is too hard for him. Nothing. 
I stood there looking at Ryan cheering me on, my biggest fan, my support, and looking at my doctors who literally stopped their days to come support me as I rang that bell. I was so overwhelmed with gratitude because God had led me there to them, and with God's healing and giving hand, they helped save my life. A few short weeks later, I was preparing for an extensive surgery that I did not want, but knew I needed to help prevent this cancer from ever coming back. Again, God placed me right where I needed to be and blessed me with two amazing surgeons and a team that took the best care of me. The surgeons went well, or the surgery went well, but the healing process had its struggles. I got very down on myself. I had lost my hair. I had gained weight because of the chemo and medicine that I was on. My body had to be altered, and I was told by multiple doctors multiple times that I would most likely not be able to have children on my own. I began to feel so alienated, so different, and so not myself. I began to pull away from friends and family and shut myself off from those who had done so much for me and loved me through this horrible time of my life. Even when the encouragement of my family and my sweet husband reminding me I'm the same person and telling me over and over he loved me and that I was beautiful to him, I was just really hard on myself. This is when I decided to reach out for help. I spoke to Pastor Danielle, and she encouraged me to talk to someone. She helped me find someone and pushed me to be transparent with her. This was one of the hardest and most rewarding things I had done. Randa helped me dig deep into my feelings and come to find out I actually hadn't truly mourned the fact that I had cancer. I had, I had been fighting for my life, literally. She helped me put... She helped me open up and really feel what I had been through. She helped me talk my feelings out and share my experience. She is the biggest reason I am here today, standing in front of you, able to share my story with you. And a small plug there, CR has helped me so much too. Like I wouldn't have even been able to do that much if it wasn't for CR. So totally try CR. Shameless plug. <laughs> On June 9th, 2021, I had my surgery. Happy birthday, Ryan. And on June 14, 2021, I got the call from pathology. My cancer was gone. <laughs> yes. They had done four different biopsies to check for any signs of cancer anywhere, and each time they came back completely completely clear. We went, met with my oncologist, and he said no more chemo was needed and radiation was unnecessary. God healed my body, and on top of that, he totally showed off. You will never convince us that prayer doesn't work. You will never convince us of that. We went from the worst possible news to the best case scenario literally overnight. On Christmas Eve, we went from the worst case to the best case. She just got the all clear from the surgeon a week ago that she doesn't want to see her for the next three years. So we don't even have to worry about this for the next three years. Oh, and by the way, tomorrow we go to find out what the sex is of our baby. God just keeps showing off. He just keeps showing up. They told us that most likely you wouldn't be able to have children naturally. You probably wouldn't be able to have children at all. But we, those two eggs are still sitting in a freezer because this was all natural. 
God is good. And when he does things, he does it well. He said, we're not doing this man's way. I don't need their help. I made you. I made you. And I'll make another. And that's exactly what he did in that situation. And we're so thankful for what God did in Michaela's life and the fact that she's here and looking beautiful and we're about to welcome another life into our lives. We're so excited about that. And so we went on with our lives uh, celebrating, so grateful for what God has done, trying to live like we have been given a second chance because we truly have. And we went on a few trips over the next year, uh, just trying to spend as much time with family as we could. Then on November 18th, after literally just getting the all clear for Michaela's six-month appointment, uh, we went out to dinner with Pastor Jeremy and Danielle to celebrate the good news. And on the way home from the restaurant, I looked at Michaela and I said, well, I, don't, I don't really feel very good. I don't know what's going on. And uh, so that went on for a few days, and I got I got worse, and I got a little worse. And so I went ahead and took a COVID test, and sure enough, I was positive. Uh, first time we, so somehow we made it all the way through my mom's cancer, all the way through my Kayla's cancer without any of us having COVID. I give Lord, the Lord the credit for that because it would have been life-threatening for her to get COVID while she was going through chemo. So we did not get it during that point. Um, but so this was the first time. And so I went through all the normal at the time um, symptoms and, and the time frame. I went through the seven-day back hole that everyone else had. This was during the Delta variant. And actually, uh, I thought I was starting to feel a little better and, and started to, to, um, to improve. And then all of a sudden, one night, everything switched over to my lungs. Like, like night eight, night nine. It just, it all, all everything else went away. I, I thought I was improving. And then all of a sudden, it switched over to my lungs and I woke up. We went to the ER and they sent me home on oxygen. And I spent the next day or so getting weaker and weaker. And my dad actually brought us a pulse ox, thank God, um, for me to keep track of my O2 stats. And, and that really wasn't us because I would have never known how sick I was without one of those. If you don't have one of those in your home, get one. Brian struggled the next few days, even on oxygen and breathing treatments. I slept on the floor with an alarm set every two hours to check on him, his fever, and his pulse ox. Around 4 a.m. on Sunday, November 28th, I called my sister-in-law, Lori, who is a nurse practitioner, in a panic. I knew something was not right. Even on oxygen, Ryan's pulse ox was reading 72%. She immediately said, get him to the hospital. For those of you that don't know, 72% is not a passing grade. When it comes to your O2, I know a lot of you have heard me say this before. Um, but that's not a passing grade when it comes to your O2. At 88% or lower, they tell you to get to the ER immediately. Below 80%, it can start to affect your brain. I was at 72 before we left the house. I woke Lydia up as we were all still under quarantine and no one was able to keep her. I got her loaded up in the van and got Ryan laid down on the floor of the van and drove as fast as I could to the ER. He was barely responding to me and I was pleading with God. When we got there, they wouldn't allow me to come in. I told them I loved him and would be right there in the car praying nonstop with Dalton by my side. I waited praying and pleading that God would let him try or let him be okay trying to entertain Lydia and get the word out that we needed prayer once again. I called the hospital multiple times begging for information. Finally, a lady told me, I'm really sorry, but things just aren't good. 
we're going to have to assist his breathing, and the doctor is talking about airlifting him to a bigger hospital. I began, I began to fall and pray out loud, saying, Oh God, the lady on the other line said, Why don't you come in, and I'll take you back to see him before flying him out. Thanking her, I hung up, and I got Lydia and myself together as I walked up to the front door. Every thought began racing through my head. They would not be letting me in if this wasn't serious. Are they letting us say goodbye to him? Is this the last time I ever speak to my husband, the man that has literally carried me last year?
402 was now at 100. So that put that picture up of the O2 stack. I even got a time stamp. We got proof of miracle. You don't just have to take my word for it. This stuff's documented. God did that. I told a nurse about this later in the ICU, and, and she was a believer too, and she said, I have no doubt that God did that because there's nothing medically that did that. There's nothing medically that made you take that jump. I have to tell you, We could order for each other at a restaurant without any one of us being there and be so happy with whatever plate when we get there. Like, that's how well we know each other. Um, but a little side story, kind of funny story. A couple years back, before we even had Lydia, we were at SeaWorld with the whole family. And uh, we're about to get on the penguin ride. Anybody know the penguin ride at SeaWorld? It's the little kiddiest ride you could ever get on in your life. It's, it's so childish. But there's not many rides at SeaWorld, so we were going to ride. So we're waiting in line to ride this ride. And there's this guy. There's this guy in the back, and I'm watching him out of the corner of my eye, and he's slowly cutting in front of people. And he's, he's got a kid in tow, too. So he's bringing his son, and he's, he's acting like he's catching up with some family up in the front, and then he, he just slide in. And he was going to do it as long as everybody would let him. Well, me being me, of course, was not about to let him cut in front of me in the penguin ride of SeaWorld. So, I make better decisions now, but back then, I was mad. And so I have no child with me. It's just me, adult self, and my family. And so this guy comes up and he goes to pull it over on me and my kid. And I went, uh uh-uh. uh. You ain't cut in front of us, man. And I stepped in front of him and I pushed my kid on through the door. And you know, I'm feeling pretty good about it at the time. He stopped. So we went on in and you go into this big room where you take group you in groups. And so we get in there. Well, this guy gets all mad back there, festering about it. He comes in and he decides he wants to take me on in this big room full of people. And so he comes up screaming at me, gets all up in my face. He and I are just going back and forth. I'm telling him, you better back up. He's telling me he's going to whoop stuff on me. And so Dalton was over here, and he really didn't know what was going on at first. He sees what's coming on. I didn't see him. I'm yelling at this guy. He comes running over, literally runs over, runs into this guy. And he's like, what's up, man? I mean, he was ready. Jericho and pray for me to live. And 
his response was, I already did. I'm going again. See what I mean? We're the same person. And I needed that at that moment. And he walked around Effingham Hospital until they lifted me up in a helicopter. And then he followed me on the road all the way to Springfield. Like he was a guardian angel. And when we got to Springfield, he walked all the way around Springfield Hospital. He called friends to come and walk with him. He walked around that hospital the entire night, slept in his car outside my window, praying for me. You can do a friend like that. You find you a friend like that. But I just had to, I just had to give him credit for that because he blew my mind. I texted him the other day telling him that story about the school world stuff when we were laughing about that. But um, he, he was a rock for me. And when I got out of the hospital, I was, I was so thankful. But months down the road, when I was going to be leaving worship here on CR Sunday, we were going to do that song. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave, right? And uh, I never sang the song. I had only heard it a few times. I didn't know it very well. And uh, so I texted Jonathan and I said, hey, can you send me like a link or a video or something of this song so I can learn like the, the order of the song and how we're going to do it and everything. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll send it over to you. So he sends me a video of the first time we ever did this song. And I know some of you have already heard this part of my testimony. But um, he sent me the video of the first time we guys did that. You guys did that song here. And so I'm practicing and I'm learning. And I look up at the date stamp and I see that it was November 28th was when this video was taken right here on this platform. And then I got thinking, I'm like, November 28th? That's the day I was in the hospital. That's the day I was dying. And so I got to look at all the timestamps. I start blowing up pictures and everything, looking at timestamps and seeing exactly when everything happened. Like I said, I'm all about proof. And so song service here takes place between 10 and 10 15 ish, right? So right in the middle of y'all's song, I didn't know this until months later, but right in the middle of y'all's song, I'm in the hospital and something's telling me, lift them up. And you know what I hear singing? Get up, get up, get up! Get up out of that grave! I don't go down a coincidence. I don't believe in that. I believe that was God doing something. Y'all's praise was lifting me up. That's why when you come into this place, you gotta come in with a heart of faithfulness and a spirit of praise because you don't know what your praise, what your worship, what your praise in this building is going to stand on these walls. And none of you knew. At that point, when you had song service, Bishop did not make an announcement. None of you knew that I was sitting in that hospital lifting my hands trying to stay alive. But y'all were screaming, get up, get up. Get up out of that grave. I don't, I don't call that a coincidence. So they airlifted me while on a bypass machine to bring the ICU. When I got there, they had a ventilator waiting for me in the room, and all the stuff hooked me up. But they had no idea what God had been doing. And so I get there, and the nurses, they're getting me ready in the bed. They're talking to me. They're hooking me up to everything. And I'm sitting up in the bed, and I'm talking. And the doctor walks in, he sees me sitting up, and he sees me talking, and he said, you're not near as bad as they told us you were. Like, what, what are you doing here? I said, well, all I can tell you is, I think God did something on the way here. And you can tell he really wasn't a believer, but he grabbed the bill there and he said, well, I don't know what it is. He said, but we're not going to need this. And he walked the ventilator right out of the room. And it never came back. And I've also got video proof of Bishop praying this exact thing.
standing right here and he's saying, no ventilator, Lord. No ventilator, Lord. And when I got to Springfield ICU, the doctor walked right in and said, no ventilator. No ventilator. You can't tell me prayer doesn't work. situation both times. Brian recovered completely from COVID and in fact beat it again a couple weeks ago. I am still cancer free with a baby on the way. This story right here, our story. This is why you hear me sing. Don't you tell me you can't do it. Don't you tell me you can't do it. At the top of my lungs is red paper. the doctor. 